You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning. If you have a Bible, turn to Proverbs 16, and we will be in the verses that Bianca just read for us. Uh, If you're new here, my name is Jamin. Welcome to Citizens Church. I'm one of the pastors. If you're watching online, thanks for uh, joining us. We truly are so glad that, uh, that you're here. Uh, whether you're visiting or whether you come every Sunday. It's thrilled, um, thrilled to see you. Uh, we have three weeks left in our wisdom series. So we will bring this series to a close on April 30th. And what, uh, where we are this morning, you know, something I've been uh, fighting for in this series is to expand our understanding of wisdom, just when we think about what wisdom is. Like, um, if I were to ask you now, having, uh, assuming you've sat through almost a year and a half of this, if I were to ask you, hey, what, what is wisdom? And you said, oh, that's the thing you need when you have a decision to make, I would be so heartbroken that that was your response. If it was just, uh, wisdom is the ability to make wise choices when you don't know what to do, uh, it's just an incomplete answer. Uh, like, uh, wisdom, uh, according to God's word, is not just what we need when we don't know what to do. Wisdom is what we need so we know who to be. Uh, wisdom is, is something we need for every moment of life. Uh, I need wisdom to speak wisely and handle emotion wisely and be a wise friend and fear the Lord and all the things that we spend all these weeks covering. So wisdom's posture and pace and person is for living in God's world, God's way, And that's not something that we need for just like the crossroads in life when we have a decision to make. That's something that we need for the path of life. It's every moment of life. Now, having said that, something the book of Proverbs talks about a lot is making wise choices and how to to know what a wise decision is. So in Proverbs 16, you hear this repeated word, this repeated idea, the plans of the heart belong to man, verse 1, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. You've got at least 12 direct Proverbs that speak about the plans we have. And the idea behind the plans, um, you know, the plans of the heart belong to man. And so it's something that's deep, um, deeply personal to every single human. It's like this vision that we have for our life, the way that we want our life to go in the present and in the future. And tied up in that vision are all the decisions that we have to make, all the choices we have to make to get there. And in these choices, they greatly influence and affect our life. And yet many of them are not about moral or immoral. So after my first semester at Baylor, I was trying to decide whether or not to transfer from Baylor to Bible college. But in that decision, tied up in that decision, were all these cascading decisions as well, because transferring was not just about transferring, but I knew I could get a job in Dallas. And if I get a job in Dallas, I knew I could propose to my girlfriend. And if I proposed to my girlfriend, I was 96% sure she would say yes. And in her saying yes, then we could get married. And getting married, we could live in Dallas and we could start our life together. And so that second semester, that kind of end of the first semester, as I'm trying to make that decision, there were all these plans tied up into that that would, that would shape my life. And what did I need in that season? Wisdom. Uh, are these choices that I'm considering, are they wise or are they not? And how do I know? 
Because it's not like I'm trying to decide between something that's evil and something that's good. So many of these kinds of decisions are not about moral or immoral. It wasn't like I was trying to decide between volunteering at a food bank or committing tax fraud. You know, it's like those are, that's a simple decision because those categories are really clear for us as Christians. Think about the host of choices we make in our life, even in any given day, where the, maybe one way to say it is, the rules don't apply. You can't apply the rule of like sin versus obedience or love versus hate. It, it's, it's I could do this morally acceptable thing or I could do that morally acceptable thing. And yet, along the lines of one morally acceptable thing or another morally acceptable thing, our lives hinge so much of, of the details of our life. Like um, my life forever changed when I moved to Dallas and got a job and started Bible college, and proposed to my girlfriend, who 100% said yes, and we got married, and we started attending a church called The Village. My, my life, so much of what's true about my life right now is influenced and shaped by those decisions that 19-year-old Jamin made all those years ago. Not every decision carries that kind of weight, but that's reality for all of us. We all have these moments where there are lots of options in front of us. They're not necessarily moral or immoral, but they have significant shaping influence and impact on our life. Like if I think about my life right now, uh, I'm, I'm going on sabbatical this summer, and I have choices to make. Um, I, need, I need a plan for that sabbatical. It's been five years since I had the last one. A lot has happened in five years, and I really want this summer sabbatical to go well. And so I've got, I want wisdom for those kinds of choices. And that's one of like 10 examples that I could give. And if we were talking, you could probably give one of a host of examples of things you're uh, thinking through right now. A, a lady came up after the 9 a.m. service and she just said, hey, this was so timely because uh, I'm having to decide whether to renew the lease on the place that I'm renting and I'm caring for my elderly mom and I've got decisions to make about her care and all of that. And those are the kinds of things that, that we face in life, these kinds of crossroads moments. And so for you, maybe right now it's a job and you're thinking about making a, a job change or a career change. Maybe it's a relationship and it's like, do I take the next step in the relationship. Maybe you're trying to decide if it's time to retire or when to retire. Maybe you're here and you're trying to decide whether or not to join this church. Maybe you're here and you're trying to decide whether or not to stay at this church. But in all of that, what do we need for all that? Wisdom. How do we live wisely in those kinds of moments? Um, so a, a word that, that Proverbs will use is the word discernment. Maybe you're familiar with it. How do, we, how do we get that? If I were to put it all into a question that's a bit oversimplified, the question is, this morning is, how do we make wise choices? Five things we need. As I considered these Proverbs, I want to name five things we need to live wisely, to be discerning, to make wise choices. Jesus limits patience counsel, and trust. Wisdom's not going to give us the decision. That would be great. But if you're in here and you're asking, you know what, I'm in my 30s, should I change jobs? Proverbs 5.5 doesn't say the wise change careers in their 30s. That would be really helpful. That would be really great. It doesn't say that. But wisdom will. It won't give us the answer. Wisdom will tell us, though, what we need, and it's really important. Jesus limits patience, counsel, and trust. Proverbs 11.3 says this, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Proverbs 12.5, the plans of the righteous are just, 
but the advice of the wicked is deceitful. Proverbs 12, 20. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. There is a really important connection that Proverbs makes in this conversation. There is a connection between the character of your plans and the condition of your heart. The integrity of the upright guides them. The plans of the righteous are just. Deceit is in the heart of those who plan evil, but a righteous heart plans peace and has joy. Do you hear it? Goodness, we've got to hear this. Wise plans are made by righteous people. Wise choices come from wise character, which means we have a problem uh, because we all have sinful hearts. Uh, The choices, I feel this all the time. The choices in front of me require greater character than what's inside of me. I'm trying to make wise plans as someone who's not as righteous as I should be. So what do I need? Jesus. Listen, please, there's a fear around this because it's kind of a different sermon than what I typically do, but please don't misunderstand the message this morning. This is not a TED Talk on decision-making with good advice for people whether you believe in God or not. Wisdom says your plans are connected to your heart and who alone can change the heart? Jesus. All of our choices then as followers of Jesus are made in light of the gospel of Jesus who died and rose and rules at the right hand of the Father and will one day return. So hear it again. Jesus loves you and he wants to change you. He loves me and he wants to change me. Wisdom, once again, is not simply after what we do. It's after who we are and changing who we are. And so if we need wise hearts in order to make wise decisions, then what we need is something we can only get from Jesus. Uh, let's put it on the ground. I think it'd be helpful. Someone reaches out to me and says, Jamin, I need some wisdom. Can we meet? So we go get coffee, and I say, what's up? And they say, I'm thinking about starting a business, and I'm not sure if it's wise. I'm at this crossroads moment where I've got a choice to make, and it's hard to know. It's not like, you know, it's not food bank or tax fraud. It's, it's I can do one thing or I could do the other, right? Uh, and I need wisdom. And I say, well, you know what? I'm, I'm really not very far on my wisdom journey, but let's think about what wisdom might say if wisdom was at the table with us. And here's what wisdom would say as we look at these verses. Wisdom would say, you're thinking about starting a business. The most important part of that decision is not the decision, but the character of the person making the decision. The integrity of the upright guides them. And so wisdom then starts asking questions in light of that. The first question is, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe Jesus loves you? And why does that matter when I'm thinking about starting a business? Well, just to make sure that we're not trying to start the business because you need affirmation from people. We aren't trying to fill some sort of God-sized void with a human-sized dream. We're not in some way trying to atone for sin in our life that the cross has already dealt with. Wisdom wants to start with the gospel of Jesus. And then wisdom would ask this, are you faithful in what you already know God wants you to do? Goodness. You don't know whether or not God wants you to start a business. But are you faithful in the things you know God wants you to do? Listen, friends, we so often talk about the will of God for our life. But by that, what many of us mean is I want God's advice, but I don't actually want his will. We say I'm seeking God's will for my life. And what we mean by that is there's some unknown part of my future that I need wisdom for. There's some unknown part of my future that I want God to speak into because I don't want to mess it up and I don't want to make the wrong thing and I don't want to end up poor or something like that. 
when the most important parts of God's will are already revealed. They've already been made known. So like here's a non-exhaustive list of things that fall under the revealed will of God for my life and your life. Love my neighbor, read my Bible, confess my sin, forgive others, care for the poor, take communion, pray, gather together with the saints, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, be generous, outdo one another in showing honor, make disciples, share the gospel, and a host, a host of other Christ-exalting things. And all of those things are part of the life of a follower of Jesus, and it's through those things that Jesus brings change in our life and cultivates wisdom in our heart. And so look, if you start the business, but you neglect all that, you've missed the point. If you start the business, but there's unforgiveness in your heart that you refuse to address. If you start the business, but you aren't wise with your words, you gossip and slander. You start the business, but you have no affection for the word of God. That means I want God's advice, but I don't want his will. Because his will is not after life advice. His will is after heart change. And if I just want answers from God, but I don't want my life accountable to God, I'm not worshiping him, I'm using him. I'm talking to a counselor, my counselor, about my sabbatical coming up, and I feel a bit angsty about it. I, I, I feel like I squandered my last sabbatical. And I really want to get this one right. And so for me, that means I'm going to have a plan. You know, I'm going to have a schedule for the time and how to use it wisely. And I got all these ideas, and I, and I give my plan to my counselor and all my ideas. And he said, you know what? Whatever you do, however you fill the time, you will still be wherever you are. And what he means by that is, I'm, gonna st I'm still going to have to deal with me. My problems are not mostly about me needing a plan. My problems are about me needing Jesus. It's me. Hi, I'm not in the problem. That's the <laughs> The, the reality of my life is that need for Jesus, right? And wisdom wants us to know that in any decision we face, we will be wherever we are on the other side of that decision in need of Jesus. Maybe you have the privilege of deciding what kind of school your kids go to, and that's a privilege. Whatever you decide, you will still be whatever kind of parent you are, regardless of what kind of school they attend. And the greatest influence in the life of a child is not the school they go to, but the home they grew up in. People are not mostly going to counseling to talk about their teachers. They're mostly going to counseling to talk about their parents. And if you make a wise school decision, but you don't have a wise relationship with your children, you've missed the point. Missed the point. Like if you're trying to decide whether or not to retire, is in all of that thinking, is it more than just do the numbers make sense? Like, is there a plan for how to be a blessing to others with the time that you'll have? No one retires from the kingdom of God. Do you have the kind of wise heart that, that desires uh, things bigger than just leisure? Do you see what's happening? It's uncomfortable. I, I get it. These decisions, though, these moments of needing wisdom for our choices, they're always going to bring us back to our greatest need, which is Jesus. The integrity of the upright guides them. The plans of the righteous are just. Wise choices come from wise hearts. And so the need, the first need, is to live in light of the gospel, to take seriously the change that Jesus wants to bring in us. And a huge part of that, a huge part of that, like a takeaway for all of us this morning, is am I already being faithful and obedient to the parts of God's will that have already been revealed? Because the parts that have already been revealed are the most important parts, not the ones that are unknown. When making wise choices, we want God's will, not just his advice. We need Jesus. 
We also need limits. Proverbs 17, 24. I think it's my new favorite proverb. It'll be until next week. Uh, The discerning sets his face toward wisdom, but the eyes of a fool are on the ends of the earth. Uh, We talked about this several months ago, but if you remember the way to understand a proverb, whenever you have two stanzas set next to each other, like um, the discerning sets his face towards wisdom, but the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth, they uh, bring clarity to the other. You understand each of them in light of the contrast that they offer to one another. So what does it mean that the discerning sets his face toward wisdom? And you could say, well, that means, you know, you read your Bible, which would be 100% true. But if we understand it in light of the eyes of the fool are on the ends of the earth, what it's saying is the wise compared to the fool, the fool's eyes are on the ends of the earth. It means every option is available to them. They're not looking for wisdom. They are looking for freedom in the absence of limits, the ends of the earth. And so this proverb confronts a lie in our culture, and it's the lie that you can be whatever you want to be, and you can do whatever you want to do, because to be restricted by anything is to be enslaved, and to be told you have the option to do anything is freedom. When I was young, my dream was to be the running back for the Dallas Cowboys. I was really young. I was like 22 years old. And... No, I think I was like elementary age. This might surprise you. That was never going to (laughs) happen. You know why? I'll prove it to you. Look. It's never going to happen. I'm five, nine and a half. If you came up to me after service and you said, hey, Jamin, how tall are you? I'd tell you, I'd look in the eye and I'd say I'm five, ten. That's a lie. I am five, nine and a half. Um, If you watched me sprint a hundred yards, you'd be like... Yeah, that's exactly what I expected, you know, for for that to look like. I'm not freakishly strong like professional athletes are. I have seasonal allergies. I can't be outside very long. It was never going to happen. Damon, don't limit yourself. Just work hard and your dreams will come true. That's not true. It's not true. Now, it's fun for a kid to have a big dream. I'm not trying to kill that, but that's, there's an adult version of it. Uh, That's emblematic of something that is distorted in our culture, and it's we do not like being told that there are things we can't do. We do not like being told that there are possibilities that aren't possible for us. They're possible for some, but not for us. And so we say, you know, every option is in front of you. The ends of the earth are in front of you. And when we're trying to make decisions, I think this is especially true for big decisions like career-type decisions and, you know, life-altering type decisions. There's this tendency to ignore our limits, a tendency to deny our limits, a tendency to feel suppressed and suffocated by our limits. Here's what wisdom wants us to know. Wisdom speaks to us through our limits. Uh, Three limit-defining questions came to mind. Uh, Maybe you're asking, okay, well, how do I know what my limits are? Well, ask these three questions in making a decision. Um, Would this choice compromise something I say I believe? It's a limit-defining question. I will learn what limits are around my life by following my convictions in a a decision. Uh, Would this choice compromise something I say I believe? For example, if I'm considering dating this person, but this person's not a Christian, they're nice, they're attractive, We like the same music, but I love Jesus and they don't. What should I do? Well, the most important question to ask in dating is not do we like the same things, but do we love the same God? And if there is, uh, if the answer to that is no, we don't love the same God. We don't love Jesus in the same way. 
It is not, that's a limit. And it's not wise to cross that limit. If I'm a Christian, I have limited options about the kind of person I will and won't date. And I don't want to compromise that. Like for all of us, there's things that we say that we believe that create this boundary around the things that we will and won't do. Like um, we should not say yes to things. If we're trying to make a decision about activities or whatever, we should not say yes to things that keep uh, us and our family away from the gathering three to four to five Sundays a month. This is important. We believe it's important. So in making decisions, that's a, that's a limit. What will this mean for our family on a Sunday morning? And I follow my convictions through this choice and through this decision, and it erects these boundaries within which I know I can make the decision. Another limit-defining question is, what has God gifted me to do? What has God gifted me to do? A, a, a biblical anthropology, meaning an understanding of human, if we just take two twin pillars of what it means, God has created everyone with dignity and everyone has been born in depravity because of sin. But associated with that dignity, there are things that God has placed in each of us, personality and talents and gifts, and we're not all gifted the same, we're not all talented in the same way, and yes, in each of us there is sin and evil and wickedness that the gospel of Jesus wants to cleanse and heal and crush, but then there's also wiring that God has made in all of us, ways that he has created us, and those things don't need to be crushed, those things need to be cultivated. And hopefully we're all operating out of a, an understanding of how God has gifted us. And that becomes a limit-defining question. Some of us are so prone to say yes to a lot of things that maybe God hasn't gifted us for. Like the number of conversations I have with people who are really frustrated in their job. And as you get to the core of the frustration, it was somebody else who thought they should do that work, but not something that they ever asked, am I actually good at doing this work? So we need to know our gifts and our gifts. There, there, there are jobs that if you offered me those jobs, there would be, regardless of the amount of money, there would be an immediate, no, I can't, I can't do that. I can't be an accountant. God didn't give me the gifts to be able to do that. But then there are other things that are consistent with the way that God has gifted me, and that's true for you. The knowledge of those things help erect the boundaries within we make decisions. Another limit-defining question is, how would this affect my relationships? The people we love, the people that we're relationally committed to, friends, family, uh, they are going to limit our lives. They're going to limit the things that we can and can't do. So for me, if the decision's not good for the rollers, if it's not good for Carrie and Asher and Adeline and Ayla, I should not do it. Uh, I don't want to compromise that. I have a friend who I just so admire him for this. He turned down his dream job, dream job because the dream job required that he be away from home and family, and his family was in a season where they needed more of him, not less of him, and so he made a wise decision within the limits of loving his family. His eyes were set not on the ends of the earth, but on wisdom. So when making wise plans, when trying to be discerning, we need Jesus, we need limits. Friends, we need to find the freedom that comes with knowing our options are limited. We also need patience. Proverbs 21.5 says this, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Uh, decisions all require a certain amount of time. And the wise give the appropriate amount of time that a decision requires. Uh, the fools are impulsive, they're hasty, and it goes bad. Proverbs 21.29, this is my new favorite proverb, A wicked man puts on a bold face but the upright gives thought to his ways. What does it take to give thought to your ways? 
time. This is so good. A wicked man puts on a bold face. It's saying the fool fakes it. Just like puts on a confident mask that's not true. And they act like they know the answer. They act like they know which choice is the wise choice, even though they don't. The wise are okay looking like they don't have the answer yet. You know why the wise are okay looking like they don't have the answer yet? Because they don't have the answer yet. They're taking their time. Have you ever put on a bold face and acted like you knew what to do even though you didn't? Um, I have felt this pressure lately specific to something going on here at our church. Uh, it's, it's self-inflicted. Nobody's putting this pressure on me. I'm putting it on myself. Uh, we are growing numerically as a church. We've been talking about that for some time now. You might have felt it trying to park this morning. Uh, last Sunday was Easter. Easter's always larger, but we had in our three services over 2,300 adults and over 500 kids, so almost 3,000 people were here on Easter Sunday. It's incredible. And that's a bit of an exclamation point on what has been a season of numerical growth here at Citizens. And if you remember, in February and March, we asked you to join us during a time called Seek, asked you to join us in praying that God would make clear what we should do. Uh, should we add services? That's a more complicated decision than some people think it is. Should we do work on this building? Should we look to buy somewhere or build somewhere? Should we do campuses? And we prayed every day. And so many of you were faithful to pray. And we gathered once a week. And so many of you were faithful to gather. And then that time ended, four weeks. And we owed you an update. And we still owe you an update. Like the update on, what did we learn? What did God say? What clarity did we get? And here's what's true. While there's some clarity in some directions, uh, while there's some things that have crystallized, we still don't have a clear answer. You know what we need? More time. More time to tease out a few opportunities, more time to consider what adding services might mean for staff and what we need to do in terms of hiring, and more time to process how much money does it make sense to even spend on this building, but ultimately we need more time to give thought how to best steward what God's doing here. We need more time. But I have felt this self-inflicted pressure to put on a bold face and to rush to an answer and to stand up here and say, hey, church, we figured it out. I mean, we are the experts. I'm a pastor. Surely that means that I ask the questions and God gives clear, audible answers hand-delivered by an angel who tells me, you got it. Go with your gut, you know. <laughs> Here's the problem with that. It's not true. That's not honest. What's honest is we need more time. We don't have an answer yet. And in all of that, I was, I was talking about this with our elders out loud and, and, and you know, the, the need to offer an answer. And one of them reminded me what they heard from a pastor once. Wisdom has a pace. <laughs> it's slow. And I said, Jeff, don't preach my sermons back to me. No. <laughs> but it takes, it takes time. The, the wise don't offer answers they don't have. And there's a pressure in our culture to, to Zach talked about this a couple weeks ago, to know it all you know, and to be really quick in responses. And that's just not how life works. And that's not how some of the most complicated decisions and choices in life work. The wise are okay. Uh, leaning into the I don't know, even when those around them are not comfortable with the I don't know. Counsel. Proverbs 15, 22. Wise choices need Jesus, limits, patience, and counsel. Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Proverbs 20:18 Plans are established by counsel by wise guidance wage war. We need voices in our life other than our own especially when we're trying to make decisions. Uh, you ever made a decision, an important decision, and you talk to somebody after you made the decision 
and you wish you would have talked to them before you made the decision because they had wisdom that you needed that would have changed the decision that you made. And here's the assumption that with counsel, when we're inviting advisors into our life, uh, it's because we can't see everything on our own. There's things that other people know that we don't know. There's pushback that other people would offer that maybe we wouldn't offer ourselves. And so uh, here's what doesn't count as counsel. This is really important. There's a decision in front of me, some choice I need to make, and I go to the people who I know are going to affirm everything I'm already thinking. That doesn't count. Um, Like there are those voices that are like the cheerleader voices in our life. They're always encouraging. They never confront. They never push back. And there are times in life where those voices are so helpful. Uh, You know, especially if you're discouraged, if you've got an encourager in your life that's just this endless well of encouragement, praise God for that. But if I only seek out those kinds of voices, I'm not after counsel, I'm only after affirmation. And the problem with that is, what if they offer affirmation for something that's not wise to affirm? Uh, Rehoboam, we all know him, Solomon's son, Uh, His failure to handle counsel wisely ruined the kingdom of Israel for centuries. His dad died. He's king. He has a decision to make about how to rule and how not to rule. He's He's trying to set the course for his reign over Israel. And the people come to him and say, Rehoboam, your dad was great. Uh, He was really hard on us. Would you consider taking it easier on us? They literally ask, would you consider lightening the yoke of your reign? And he does a wise thing at first. He sends the people away. He calls all of his dad's advisors, uh, those who counseled him, and he asks these older, wiser advisors, what should I do? The people are asking for a light yoke. And here's what they say back in 1 Kings 12, 7. If you will be a servant to this people today and serve them, if you serve them, and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. What does that sound like? That's wisdom. Who does that sound like? The kind of leader who's a servant first? Well, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. They're, they are counseling, unbeknownst to them, they are counseling Rehoboam to lead in the way that Jesus would come and lead. Rehoboam doesn't like that. He had no plans to be a servant king. He wanted to be a strong, put the people in their place kind of king. And so you know what he does? He calls his friends and he asks his buddies the same. He dismisses dad's advisors and he calls all of his buddies in and he asks them the same question. And he is not looking for counselors at this point. He is looking for someone to affirm what is already in his heart. What do you think I should do? They want a lighter yoke. And here's the friend's advice in 1 Kings 12, 10 and 11. Thus you shall say to the people, my little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. That's the first hint that they're not great counselors. That's a really weird thing to say. It's weird to counsel someone to speak in public about your dad's thighs. Verse 11. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. They tell him to be a tyrant, and that's what he chooses. The, the opposite of a, of a servant-first kind of leader. Without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. He was not looking for many advisors who sound like wisdom. He was looking for voices who sound just like him. And pay attention, friends. Pay attention if you're missing the voice of an advisor or advisors or counselors in your life, and you will know you have the voice of counselors in your life if included in their counsel are things that you didn't think of yourself and especially things that you probably didn't want to hear. 
But it's in that press, it's in that push that wisdom is forged in us. Remember Proverbs 12, 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise person listens to counsel. What's the difference between the fool who's right in his own eyes and the wise person? The fool is all alone talking to himself. The wise person has counsel surrounding him. When making wise plans, when making wise choices, we need Jesus, we need limits, we need patience, we need counsel, and finally, we need trust. We need to trust God. We need to believe that in all of our plan making, we have a God uh, that has purposes for our life. Like uh, Proverbs 16, 3 and 4 says this, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. If we just had three and that's all we had is verse 3, we would be vulnerable to misunderstand what's being said. But then verse 4 says this, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. So there's a way to think about committing my work to the Lord and my plans being established. It's like, um, it's like the sports team who says, you know what, if we play the game for God, God will make sure we win and the other team loses. Like we do it for God and in exchange of doing it for God, God makes sure that we get what we want. And that's just a dangerous false theology. And what that does is it makes us vulnerable to be perpetually frustrated in life and disappointed in life. And even worse, if we believe that, there are moments in life where we will feel like God betrayed us, that we kept up our end of the bargain, but God didn't keep up his. Because what about all the things we want that are good things? The plans we have because we love God, and yet it never happens. I'm mindful that there's some in the room where your plans don't feel established, your plans feel hopeless. And, and we know that feeling, like we know what it's like for life to not go according to plan. Or even if I think about my life, since deciding to go to Bible college, if I think of my life since the choice that 19-year-old Jamin made to propose and move to Dallas, I could look at so much and say, yeah, that's, that's pretty much gone according to plan. But there is so much that has not. There is so much I would not choose. I didn't plan for years three through eight of marriage to be as hard as they were. And I did not plan for much of that to be my fault. I didn't plan to lose friends and bury loved ones. I didn't plan to pastor through so much crisis the first three years of our church. I didn't plan to have as much doubt and insecurity as I do even after all these years of following Jesus. So even in a life where I can be grateful for the parts of it that have gone as expected, there are a host of things that didn't. They're not my plan. So what do we do, friends, when life looks nothing like what it would look like if we were completely in charge? We need to trust God. And even in saying it, there's a fear that it lands as an empty platitude. But verse 4 says, God has made everything for a purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. It's inviting you to look at the wicked. And it's saying that even when things appear to be outside of God's control, so the wicked who hate God and hurt people and live their life as if they are God, and in and, and all of that, it just looks like complete chaos, like nobody's in control, none of this has any meaning. What he's saying is even behind that, there is a God who is working his purposes out in his world. As one commentator says it, there are no loose ends in God's world. As Joseph says to his repentant brothers, what man meant for evil, God meant for good. Or as we say it in our preschool ministry, I picked my four-year-old up a few weeks ago and I said, Ayla, what'd you learn in class? And she looked at me and smiled and she said, God's in charge of everything. 
Or to say it in New Testament language, Romans 5, 3, and 5, not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. How can we know that hoping in a God who's in charge of everything will not make fools out of us, even in suffering, even in all the unplanned pain of life, because his love has been poured into our hearts, and it will not put us to shame, and it doesn't mean the pain in life is not painful. It's not disappointing. It doesn't mean that we aren't confused, that things have not gone the way that we wish they would go or the way we would have decided they go if we were God. But it at least means that it's not meaningless, that there's a purposeful God behind all of it. And there is significant God honoring what's unknown to us that one day will be revealed in eternity, ways that God is working this out. And the promise is he's causing all things to work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes. For who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And who he predestined, he called. And who he called, he justified. And who he justified, he glorified. What shall we say then if God is for us? Who can be against us? We can trust him. can trust him, especially in the moments in life that are not going according to plan. We need Jesus and limits and patience and counsel and need to trust that our God is at work in our life and so we can offer our lives to him as a God who we can entrust our lives to. Lord, we need you. We love you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. Would you, by your spirit, O God, Uh, the gap between the messenger and the message. Would you bridge it? Uh, Lord, the space between what my words can do and what your spirit can do, would you fill it with grace and mercy? We need you, Jesus. uh, Would you uh, cultivate in the hearts of your people, my brothers and sisters, in my heart, God, would you cultivate in our hearts a desire not just for your advice, but for your will? Would you help us be people who see the freedom that exists and the limits that you've placed in our life? Would you make us a people, God, who are patient, who don't put on a bold face, but who look boldly to you, Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who we can trust even in all of the I don't knows or not yet answered of life? Help us seek counsel, sincere, honest, wise counsel. And God, would you help us trust you? Would you help us trust you? And part of trusting you when life doesn't go according to plan is trusting you enough to lament those things to you and grieve those things to you. And trusting you enough, God, to be honest with you And also trusting you enough, God, to believe it's not empty of meaning with you. We love you and we thank you. Amen.